ask any resident of Exeter Township, and they'll tell you the most famous haunted house in the area is the Lizzie Lincoln House, an abandoned 19th century federal-style brick structure that beckons from behind a rusting fence festooned with no trespassing signs. The legend of Lizzie Lincoln is so famous around Berks County that it has found a home in numerous books about Pennsylvania ghost stories and has been listed on dozens of websites. The Lizzie Lincoln House has even attracted paranormal research teams from places far and wide. In 1999, the South Jersey ghost researchers conducted an investigation here, with two of the team members claiming to have seen the apparition of a young woman. Of course, anyone who believes in a legend will insist that this must have been the ghost of Lizzie Lincoln herself, who, according to local folklore, died tragically after falling down the stairs. In some versions of the story, Lizzie's death is accidental, but most versions of the story maintain that Lizzie was pushed down the stairs by an ill-tempered husband. At any rate, the legend became so popular that the owner of the property, attempting to cash in on the ghost tour craze, turned the house into a Halloween attraction. As is so often the case with haunted houses, much of what has been written about the gloomy brick house between Bombstown and Birdsboro is complete nonsense. In the case of Lizzie Lincoln, even the incomparable Charles Adams, the author and Exeter Township native, no less, muddied the waters when he stated to the Reading Eagle newspaper that, while no one was ever murdered in the house, a woman did die from natural causes inside the home many years ago, though her name wasn't Lizzie. According to Adams, the woman in question was most likely a maid or housekeeper who, presumably, died of natural causes. While many local historians refer to the vacant structure as the Boardman House or the Boardman Farm, after the family who occupied the home for several decades, the house dates back to the mid-19th century, when it was built for Isaac Hewitt and his wife, Mary. Mary Meyerly Hewitt passed away on October 5, 1876, at a ripe old age. The following month, the estate, consisting of eight acres, was sold. Of the ten Hewitt children who lived in the house, six were short-lived. Leah Harriet died in infancy. Christiana died at the age of four, and four sons passed away between the ages of 26 and 40. It is probable that a few of these young Hewitts died in a house, but since the date of the house's construction is unknown, it's impossible to state with any degree of certainty. At any rate, the description of the female apparition allegedly seen by the South Jersey Ghost researchers fits none of these former inhabitants. Not long after the death of Mrs. Hewitt in 1876, the property changed hands to the Seitzingers, and from the Seitzingers to the Boardmans, and here's where things begin to get interesting. Mary Agnes Souter was the wife of Alexander H. Boardman of Camden, New Jersey, and the cousin of William W. Seitzinger, the coal baron millionaire from Reading. Alexander Boardman, as some of the locals know, was the man who invented the world-famous Atlantic City Boardwalk. Alexander, known then to his friends as Alec, came up with the idea in 1870 when he was a young man working as a conductor on the Camden and Atlantic Railroad. After he had made a name for himself in Atlantic City, Boardman, who was something of a debonair Don Juan-like figure, 
married Mary Agnes, a wealthy widow from Berks County, and promptly took his spot among local high society. He lived the rest of his life in comfort and ease, passing away in February of 1901 at the age of 60. Mary Agnes had inherited the Hewitt property in 1864 from Franklin Seitzinger. At the time, Mary Agnes was married to her first husband, Alexander Newbold. Records indicate this marriage produced a daughter, who married Oris Rosenbaum and relocated to Seattle. Of this daughter, very little is known, although it is highly unlikely that she died inside the house. Mary Agnes married Alexander Boardman in 1876, and the couple divided their time between homes in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, not to mention deluxe hotel suites they rented out by the season in Asbury Park and Ocean City. They eventually had a son named Horace, who grew up in Camden and attended school at the prestigious West Jersey Academy in Bridgeton. Horace would later go on to become a successful attorney. Like most rich folks, Mary Agnes and her husband added to their wealth and real estate portfolio not through hard and honest work, but by suing the pants off of whomever they could, including their own neighbors. To demonstrate the type of people they were, in 1896, the couple brought a lawsuit against Daniel Hoffey, accusing the neighbor of stealing hay and straw from their Exeter property, even though they spent the better part of the year living out of state, and probably had enough money to buy all the straw in the township if they wanted to. When Mary Agnes's millionaire cousin, William W. Seitzinger, died in 1900, she discovered that he had left her out of his will entirely so she wasted no time leaving Camden and traveling to Berks County to claim the chunk of the Seitzinger estate to which she believed she was entitled. Her attorney attempted to prove that Seitzinger was non mentis when he made out his will. The case went to trial, with a jury ultimately ruling against Mary Agnes Boardman. After Alexander Boardman's death in 1901, Mary Agnes and her son, Horace, occupied the home that would later come to be known as the Lizzie Lincoln House. Their tenure in Exeter Township would be short and sporadic. Horace married the following year and moved back to New Jersey, while Mary Agnes Souter Newbold Boardman passed away in Cape May on October 16, 1906, from complications arising from paralysis. Even after the death of Mary Agnes, the house in Berks County would remain uninhabited for long periods of time. Horace only lived at the house a few months of the year, preferring to spend the majority of his time in New Jersey. He maintained possession of the Lizzie Lincoln House until his death in 1972. Some have speculated that the female apparition reportedly seen from time to time in Exeter Township is that of Horace's first wife, Geraldine, who died in 1919 under mysterious circumstances. Shortly before her death, Geraldine filed suit against Horace for desertion and adultery. According to court documents, Geraldine alleged that she had been forced to relocate to California for health reasons, and that during her recovery, Horace had begun having an affair with a woman named Georgiana Bryan. Horace denied these accusations and argued that it was Geraldine who was the one who had been having an affair while in California. Nonetheless, Horace and Georgiana were married just months after Geraldine passed away. In 1953, Horace married his third wife, 
Mildred Brown Walter, a native of Millville, New Jersey. Interestingly, these seedy details appear to have been the inspiration behind the official Lizzie Lincoln narrative, as given by those who worked at the Lizzie Lincoln House during its tenure as a Halloween attraction. This version of the legend states that Lizzie's husband, a womanizing attorney from Philadelphia, threw her down the stairs after she confronted him about his affair with a housemaid. The dates, details, and locations of this legend don't mesh, of course. The wife's name was Geraldine, not Lizzie, and she died in California, not Pennsylvania. And Horace, as far as I can tell, never practiced law in Philadelphia. Perhaps the reason why Geraldine's death is considered mysterious is because the nature of her health problems was a closely held family secret, and her funeral, which was held in Camden, New Jersey, was conducted in private. In 1977, new owners Scott Zabauer and Robert Baker moved into the Lizzie Lincoln House. Author Charles Adams said in a January 2019 Reading Eagle article that Zabauer and Baker both reported seeing and hearing doors opening and closing by themselves. In addition, lights and appliances would turn off and on under their own power, and a, quote, misty form was often seen coming down a staircase. Zabauer and Baker seemed to be the first persons to report this sort of ghostly phenomena. However, in March, Zabauer left a comment on a blog post written about the Lizzie Lincoln House, claiming that he had never experienced anything out of the ordinary. This seems to suggest that someone wasn't telling the truth in the Reading Eagle newspaper article, although it remains unclear whether this person was Charles Adams, Scott Zabauer, or Robert Baker. Since Adams is the only one who stands to profit from the infamy of the Lizzie Lincoln legend, which he wrote about in his 1982 book, Ghost Stories of Berks County, my guess is that it was him. At any rate, from the time Baker and Zabauer occupied the house up to the present day, countless witnesses claim to have experienced some sort of paranormal activity in the vicinity of the Lizzie Lincoln House. Most often, these supposedly supernatural occurrences involve strange sounds and odors, unexplained nausea, feelings of dizziness and lightheadedness, and a general aura of danger and discomfort. History, however, seems to suggest that there may be a more natural explanation for this phenomena, and this explanation, oddly enough, centers around the very man who turned the vacant farmhouse into a Halloween attraction. Ever since 1989, the Lizzie Lincoln House has been under the ownership of AVM Nursery, one of several local companies owned by now-deceased businessman Donald L. Pfeiffer and his partner Harold C. Hart. After graduating together from Delaware Valley College in 1947, Pfeiffer and Hart opened the nearby Buddy's Nursery. Pfeiffer's various businesses included Exeter Associates, the AVM Nursery Corporation, Landfill Associates, and FR&S Landfill, which was located just a few feet east of the Lizzie Lincoln House, also on a parcel of land that had been owned once by the Boardmans. And, just like Mary Agnes Boardman, Pfeiffer spent a great deal of time in courtrooms. The primary difference is that, unlike the Boardmans, Donald Pfeiffer was usually the defendant. Pfeiffer's troubles with the law began in 1970, when he applied for permits to operate two landfills. 
when the Department of Environmental Resources refused to issue the permits, Pfeiffer decided that he would simply operate the landfills without a license. In October of 1976, DER officials grew concerned after an Exeter Township police officer, Paul Douglas, alerted the agency to Pfeiffer's illegal activities. Douglas had been instructed by township supervisors to conduct an investigation of Pfeiffer after several local residents living near the landfill became sick. During his investigation, Douglas discovered that trucks carrying liquid waste and toxic chemicals from as far away as Westchester were using the landfill as a dump site. One newspaper article reported that residents of the area complained about gagging on the lacquer-like odors from greenish-gray liquids, while another article reported that people living nearby frequently awoke during the night with a choking and burning sensation. These toxic liquids seeped into the creek behind the Lizzie Lincoln House and into the Schuylkill River. Another newspaper reporter visited the site and observed no fewer than five huge tractor trailers dumping waste at the landfill in a single span of 20 minutes. After much legal wrangling, the Department of Environmental Resources ruled in December of 1976 that Pfeiffer could continue operating the landfill under one condition, that he submit an environmental protection plan within 90 days. This decision raised a howl of protest from neighbors, and an emergency meeting of the Township Board of Supervisors was held. Many of the supervisors, who were on friendly terms with Pfeiffer and Hart, said that nothing could be done, even though state law granted the township authority to levy fines for legal dumping. When asked why the state was doing nothing to curb Pfeiffer's illegal activities, one government official told the Pottstown Mercury newspaper that Pfeiffer has more pull in Harrisburg than any of us do. Equally as upset as the residents of Exeter Township were the residents of Pottstown. Located just seven miles downriver, the chemicals released into the Schuylkill River by the landfill were contaminating Pottstown's water supply. Dr. Maurice Goddard, secretary of the DER, dispatched a team of field officers to Exeter Township to further investigate these complaints. In addition to industrial chemical waste, DER officials also detected high levels of raw sewage in the tiny stream behind the Lizzie Lincoln House. They traced this raw sewage to broken pipes in the nearby Sunset Manor housing development, which was another business venture owned by Donald L. Pfeiffer. While most residents of Exeter Township signed a petition demanding a halt to the illegal dumping, it was soon discovered that not a single resident of Sunset Manor had signed it, and an investigative journalist from the Pottstown Mercury newspaper later discovered that Pfeiffer had threatened reprisals if any of his tenants affixed their names to this petition. When a second township meeting about the illegal landfill was held in January, only one of the supervisors attended. Also attending that meeting was Henry Markovsky, Pfeiffer's lawyer. The residents of Exeter Township, meanwhile, obtained the legal services of Jerome Smith. A legal document was then delivered to Pfeiffer by the DER. But not only did Pfeiffer refuse to sign the document, he tore it up as soon as it was handed to him. A week later, when a binding order endorsed by the Pennsylvania Attorney General, 
Robert P. Kane, was hand-delivered to Pfeiffer, ordering him to shut down his landfill, it appeared that the residents of Exeter Township finally had reason to rejoice. Their celebration would be in vain, however. Once again, Pfeiffer thumped his nose at authority, and the illegal dumping continued. And so naturally, no one was surprised when a DER's deadline came and went without Pfeiffer bringing his illegal toxic waste site up to government standards. At the monthly meeting of the Township Citizens Committee in August, one resident, Sidney Horowitz, complained to Township supervisors that not only was the landfill still operating in defiance of the law, it had actually increased in size, having spread to within 300 feet of Red Lane. When the supervisors once again failed to hold Pfeiffer accountable for his actions, the residents took their case to Washington, this time bringing their complaint to the attention of the Environmental Protection Agency. By this time, locals had taken to calling Donald L. Pfeiffer the biggest sleazeball in Berks County's history. On April 26, 1978, Deputy U.S. Marshal James Duras, accompanied by a team of DER officials, entered Pfeiffer's property, armed with a search warrant authorizing him to obtain water and soil samples. According to court transcripts, Pfeiffer greeted the federal law enforcement officials by declaring, So this is the big marshal. He then read over the warrant, declared it invalid, and shoved it into his pocket. He then threatened the U.S. Marshal, telling him that no samples would be allowed to be taken and that, if anyone tried, the DER officials would, quote, not be permitted to leave the property. When the team commenced collecting samples, Pfeiffer ordered one of his employees, David Hart, to park his truck across the road, thereby preventing them from leaving. Deputy U.S. Marshal Duras contacted the state police, and Pfeiffer was arrested. After a six-day trial, a jury convicted Pfeiffer of knowingly and willfully obstructing, resisting, and opposing an officer of the United States. In 1985, the landfill was finally shut down, at least on paper. Two years later, the Allentown Morning Call reported that Pfeiffer was still conducting business illegally from a trailer on the property. The EPA obtained access warrants in order to determine if there was underground pollution, and once again Pfeiffer attempted to prevent the gathering of samples at his landfill. On February 8, 1986, the DER finally came down hard on Pfeiffer, fining his company $323,000 for repeatedly violating state environmental law. Three years later, Pfeiffer purchased the four acres adjoining the landfill, upon which the Lizzie Lincoln House stands, and the abandoned property was turned into a Halloween attraction. Meanwhile, Pfeiffer's other business, Buddy's Nursery, continued to flourish. But on August 3, 1998, the Department of Environmental Protection cited the nursery for illegally burying composted sewage sludge, which eventually polluted Molasses Creek. According to the DEP, a majority of soil samples taken from the nursery failed fecal coliform bacteria standards. Pfeiffer passed away 22 days later at the age of 78. However, things weren't entirely bleak for Pfeiffer during his final years. In 1992, the Delaware Valley College Alumni Association presented the lawless landfill owner with its prestigious National Farm School Award, handed out to those who have made a, quote, 
significant contribution in his or her chosen field. Apparently, there weren't too many Delaware Valley alums paying attention to Berks County happenings in those days, otherwise they would have realized that this is kind of like the National Association of Vegetarians giving a Lifetime Achievement Award to Jeffrey Dahmer. Today, the landfill that sits behind the Lizzie Lincoln House is owned and operated by the J.P. Mascaro Company, and its name has been changed to the Pioneer Crossing Landfill. The company founded by Hart and Pfeiffer, AVM Nursery, has been kept in the family, though they have not made any statements about the future of the Lizzie Lincoln House. But as for the house's colorful past, one thing seems certain. Stories of paranormal phenomena didn't seem to circulate until Pfeiffer's landfill became a public health nuisance. In other words, if you visited the Lizzie Lincoln House and happened to experience strange feelings of dizziness and nausea, the true culprit was probably not a poor young woman who met her demise at the bottom of the staircase. The true culprit was most likely toxic waste. If you enjoyed this podcast, pick up a copy of my newest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 3, available now at www.sunburypress.com. Volume 3 features 30 remarkable but true stories from every corner of the Keystone State. And be sure to visit my blog, paoddities.blogspot.com, for over 600 bizarre tales of murder and mystery from the colonial era to the present day. The Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite program. New episodes on a 1st and 15th of every month. Bye-bye.